0: is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Meyer. In today's America people are not just people. They're white people, black people, people of color, whatever that is, and the list goes on and on and on. 26 letters, by the way, just in sexual orientation alone. People aren't allowed to be just people anymore in this country. Instead, we've lobbied one another to choose from an ever-expanding set of identity combinations that, we are told, define who we are. And that's not all. In order to be faithful to who we are, we must also accept the preconceived and arbitrarily assigned values and worth and humanity that accompanies our chosen identities. And all the while, the chance for unity and understanding echo across from sea to not-so-shining sea. And we sure do have a funny way of trying to achieve unity, don't we? Well, those are some of the words of our special guest's book here today called More Than Reconciliation, Coming to the Table of Grace. And we're going to meet him in just a few minutes But because of the raging culture war in our country, America is splintering, we all know it, into smaller and smaller political and social demographic groups. And all the while promoting an elusive utopia called unity. In fact, there's almost a cheerleaders group out there called Unity, Unity, This Our Cry. Unity, Unity, This Our Cry. And it almost seems that the more we cry for unity, the less unified we are. How can that possibly be? Well, that's what we're going to talk about here today on Viewpoint with our special guest, Andrew Southwick. And uh, he's from Florida. We're in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, he has a wide range of uh, experiences in his background. He has five kids all living at home. A veritable ministry right there in his own home. And uh, the interesting thing about him is he is black, his wife is white. And the associate pastor or co-pastor in his congregation is white, and his wife is black. It seems to me it's all mixed up, just completely mixed up. The problem with that is that the body of Christ has been mixed up from the very beginning. Totally mixed up except that God takes the mix-up and turns it into something that can be seen from the outside as something beautiful, if our hearts are ready. And that's where the, the problem that we have here today on Viewpoint in our country. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective, and have been doing so for almost 30 years now. And one of the most challenging issues has been the issue of racism. And now we have a whole new remedy for that called CRT, critical race theory. And it's just a theory. And it's critical. And it causes it to be more critical of one another. And it does nothing to achieve unity or to resolve any of America's racial problems. Racism is a reality, I believe it. It has no place in our civil body politic. It's repugnant to our covenant with God and our fellow man, and we the people have to, with God's help, eradicate this blight from our hearts and society. But you can't do it by passing laws and dividing us up with more and more minority identities. How would God look at us? That's our question here today on Viewpoint. And our special guest, Andrew Southwick, joining us with his book, More Than Reconciliation. Andrew, it's so good to have you on the program.
1: All right, Chuck. Thanks for having me on.
0: We are living in some incredibly uh, challenging times. Racism has always existed, hasn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you go back to Genesis, you see it there.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's there from the beginning to the end. And yet... In, in a technical fashion, in a scientific way, and also in a truly spiritual way, there's only one race, isn't there?
1: Oh, well, well, you look at what well, who did God created. He created humans, human beings. There is only one race, a human race. In fact, when you look in Scripture, as I know you have, many of your listeners probably have as well, you don't see people groups being identified as races. They're identified as nations, mm-hmm. and, we, and that's where we, we, you know, when we are... Speaking about like missionaries and mission groups, um, we talk about people groups and going to visit people groups or ethnic groups, things like that. But there's always one race. There is one human race. The the where you see Peter in the New Testament talking about we are a holy race, a royal priesthood. Well, that there is a distinction because that word race has a biological, has a spiritual distinction to it. Mm-hmm. Well, from humanity, we are biological humans and we also are spiritual humans. But when we are born again, we are regenerated with the life of Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Well, now we are a new race. We are a new creation. So, yeah, there that term race would be appropriate. But that line is the line of faith and line of faith in Christ. However, when it comes to humanity on Earth, we are human beings, and that makes racism so weird because there is only one race, and yet at the same time, racism does exist. It's a paradox.
0: It is a paradox, and... uh... The more we focus on racism, the more racist we become. Mm -hmm. Go figure. How do you explain that?
1: You know, so racism, I I, I contend racism is a name that we give to excuse our partiality, which is that's really the sin that we're talking about. What Uh the Bible notes is partiality.
0: Interesting.
1: And partiality can be of a lot of things. Right. It doesn't have to be right. skin color. And by the way, we're, we're then conflating race as a as a biological distinction with a skin color, which, again, has nothing to do with anything. But it's we want the reason the more we focus on racism, the reason why we get more and more racist is because we're focusing on our own partiality. We can't help but get more divided because when we focus on our own partiality, our own preference, who I'd rather hate, who I'd rather discriminate against, for whatever reason it might be, the more we focus on that, the more we are forced to defend it. The more we're forced to defend it, the more we're forced to show that that, those other people or that other group is not worthy of honor, value, worth, what have you. That's only going to make your lines grow bolder and uh, and stronger.
0: You know, you've articulated some things very powerfully here, and uh, that agrees with Jesus' brother, James, who talked about this very issue of partiality in the church, didn't he?
1: Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's uh, impartiality wherever it comes. It, uh, well, it's really, again, and this is where it goes back to, it is a sin problem. There's the, there's the mame, you know, the, the phrase, that racism isn't a skin problem, it's a sin problem, and mm-hmm. that's clever, but it, but it's true because what is sin's most devastating effect? It severs relationships, first with God, then with each other. So,
0: exactly. So here
1: you see again, the effects of sin, this time partiality, severing relationships, whether it's through neighbors or communities, whether it's through nations, whether it's through uh, church denominations, or even within a church itself, and just the preferences we have with our own church body, which you well know leads to some terrible, uh, terribly tragic uh, church splits and infighting and all kinds of stuff that only does nothing but but hinder the work in the Word of God.
0: It is an astounding phenomenon that we're dealing with Uh, Some of the other countries in the world have not experienced it like we do here, Uh, but we are experiencing it here. And if this is truly a nation supposedly under God, we ought to be able to deal with this that apparently we're not. Why is that? That's what we want to get to after this uh, break. We'll be right back with our special guest, Andrew Southwood. Every one of us has experienced some kind of injustice that is done to us. Maybe we were ignored. Maybe we uh, were belittled. Maybe we were treated as uh, persona non grata, somebody that uh, wasn't worthy. Uh, Maybe some ladies out there were treated as uh, less than valuable by men. Maybe some men have been treated less than valuable by women, even in their own home. All of us have situations that we can remember where we were treated unjustly. Now, does that qualify, then, us for coloring the entire world with our feeling of injustice because of the situation or experience that we had? Where does God come in the midst of it? Where does Jesus' statement if you will not forgive others their sin, neither will your heavenly Father forgive yours. Where does that come into the mix of things? And if it doesn't, are we really Christians? Are we really Christians? Jesus said, remember, if you won't forgive others their trespasses and sins, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. In other words, you're unqualified. He's not going to receive sinners, people with all kinds of blemishes into his house. Maybe this is something that's more serious than we actually admit. Maybe it's not just a culture war issue. Maybe it has to do with a spiritual war going on inside our own minds and hearts. So that's what we want to talk about here today, and I think that's what our special guest Andrew Southwick uh, is has been talking about in his book, More Than Reconciliation. His book uh, is available to you for $17. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, uh, Andrew, you say... We once marched in the streets for the cause of justice for all. Now we march for social justice and politically incentivize preferred and protected identities that serve further to divide us as as a country. The injustices of the past are being used to affirm and excuse the new injustices of today. And what is more frightening is that nearly half of our country is cheering them on. As far as a nation, we've sought to remedy these cultural divides through politics and law. Now, I'm distilling some things that that really stood out to me from your book. And I agree exactly with what you have said here, but how could these things be? How can these things be in a nation that supposedly is exemplary within the world of receiving all? You're tired, you're hungry, you're aliens, all who are yearning to breathe free.
1: I would suggest that it's really an unmooring from the from the Christian principles that founded this nation. Now, I'm not saying that our Constitution and Bill of Rights are divinely inspired. They're not. They're written by men, did the best they could, and not all those men are Christians, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... We once were a nation, as you mentioned before the break, under God. And the problem is there are enough people now and more generations, they don't want to be under God, so they want to unmoor this nation from where it's founded. That's why we see things. You mentioned CRT, critical race theory, Mm -hmm. or the 1619 Project. um, Tearing down the statues, whether they're good or bad. What, what, What is that going to serve to do? It's going to, and effectively for generations to come now, erase where we have been so that we can remake it in some new image. And that new image is one where racism still exists. It's just, it just now it's, it's different. See, I, one of the, one of the things that I think is going on here is we have, you hear phrases like systemic racism, mm-hmm. systemic oppression, and those, the social justice warriors and the keyboard warriors online and whatever, they, they rail on it and say, you know, we want to tear down systemic racism. You just, I just, uh, they were just, I don't know if you saw the story, Chuck, um, uh, A Denver school district has now instituted language justice. (laughs) And what that is, I'm I'm serious, you can look this up, language justice. And what it is, is um, uh, immigrants or uh, foreign students that don't speak English will not learn English, they won't be taught English because, not to help them learn in their native language so they can grow and eventually learn and do whatever, but because English is tied to whiteness, which is tied to oppression, which is tied to systemic racism. Therefore, we have to do away with the whole thing. I contend that it's not systemic racism that these social justice warriors have a problem with. uh, And it's not even racism they have a problem with. It's, It's who controls the system. They want control so they can tell you and I who we're supposed to hate. And if we hate the right people, we get to participate in society and do the wonderful things. If we don't. We get called names and everything else.
0: So the people that are actually screaming loudest against hate are actually the ones that are carrying the water for the hate groups.
1: Absolutely. And this is one of the mistakes I think that we make as believers. And I say this not just pointing my finger out, but I've made this mistake too, where we then accept their premises. We Mm -hmm. accept, well, yes, racism has always been white against black. No way, that's been people... People and people, doesn't matter what your skin color is. Right. Well, we, we accept these ideas, like I said, of whiteness or a white privilege or white guilt or all this other stuff. If we as the church try to, try to address these issues on those grounds we've already lost, because those grounds are not truth, we have to bring it back to the truth and the basis of Scripture, because that's the truth about humanity.
0: Well, brother, this is the reason why I chose to bring you on the program, uh, because I perceived that you had a very different spirit. You are wanting to get us into the promised land of genuine reconciliation. Unfortunately, if you go back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you find that of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to to, uh, confirm what was there and how they should deal with it, 10 of them came back and said, yeah, it's just like God said, but... There are giants in the land, there's all this stuff, it's not right, it's not fair, uh, we can't do this, we can't do this, and yet God said they brought up an evil report. Then came to Joshua and Caleb, and God said, you alone, out of all of the 600,000 men that came out of Egypt, are going to be allowed into the Promised Land. And he said, the reason is because you have another spirit that's our problem we don't have that other spirit even in god's own house and i think you've articulated it very well we're trying to deal with a culture war that's based upon well satan's deception and not from god's viewpoint and look what's happening
1: exactly and you know the church, the body of believers, and, and, and um, you can think of it locally as in your local church, the church you belong to, or the church, universal churches that are part of the the, uh, the body of Christ. We, I, I am under no uh, illusion or delusion that you're going to eradicate racism in this world. This world is soaked with sin, exactly, and it's, it's, it's not going to happen. I'm also not under the delusion that most of the people in the world are going to cease their partiality. Because they're just not. And even 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 those of us who desperately want to, we still battle with our own flesh. Um, hopefully, on the process of sanctification, following the Lord. But mm-hmm. but what but what the the gift of the church. One of the things I think that, that the church is or is intended it to be, I believe, is it is a small glimpse, however imperfect, of what the community of believers is like and what eternity can be like and and what I, and. And what I mean by that is no matter what injustice is happening in the world, and I'm not making I'm not saying it's insignificant to anybody, but no matter what injustices are going on in the world, we are supposed to be able to come into the family of believers, have a seat at the table, be called brothers and sisters and co heirs in Christ. Yeah. And there is and for and for many throughout history and many around the world right now, their 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 church body, their body of believers, whether they're underground or not is the only place where they are treated like the creations of God that they are and not the caricatures of cultural or political demographic that our world would like you to believe.
0: You know, it's interesting, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, an analogy to racism, and that is tribalism. Tribalism is a kind of the same thing. It's creating an identity of a particular people group Uh, based upon either uh, color of skin or uh, background or heritage or whatever. And so we have, in Africa, we have the slave trade having started in the heart of Africa by black men, tribes, treating other tribes unjustly, taking them captive, and then selling them to white men, to Arabs, and so on, but the whole problem that we deal with in America started right there in in Africa.
1: It did, which shows you that the problem exists really in the human heart. Like exactly. Like we, it, we don't have to teach our kids to lie to us. They do that all on their own. We have to teach them not to lie. <laughs>
0: right? Right, exactly. They, uh, you know, I I've spoken them, you know? <laughs> I've spoken twice uh, for lengthy periods of time in Ghana, Africa, where my son-in-law was the son of a chief. In fact, my son-in-law was to have bec- become the chief, but he decided to reject that because there were too many entanglements with ungodly requirements. And he said, I can't do this. So anyway, we went over there, and I spoke to pastors all over Ghana. And one of the places that we went, visited, uh, was the slave trade center, the prison right on the edge of the ocean, where they gathered the slaves in Africa— in Ghana for shipping off to the slave trade. And they had uh, stone or concrete uh, slopes that were built into the cells so that when they were ready, they would put the people in those slides and they'd slide down into the ocean and be picked up to go on to wherever they were destined to go. That was all part and indigenous to Ghana, which has a motto, me," which means, but for God. Try to put that together.
1: Wow. Wow. You know, and here's the thing. Who, which among our students, and, you know, I'll divulge, I'm 43, I'm almost 44, so I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, Uh and... Those things weren't taught in school when we learned about civil rights, even back then. No. How much less so now?
0: Exactly. They don't want to teach about it because that would deviate from the category, we have to create a victimhood, and we have to create a line of oppressors so that we can set one against the other and keep the country divided.
1: Absolutely. And notice the people who want to create the victimhood, never are actually in the seat of of victimhood themselves. Uh, They want to make victims of us so that they can control us. And I'm not being conspiracy theory. They want power. The other thing they want, as you know, is money. Racism is an industry, okay? It was an industry back in the day. We fought to abandon that industry in the Civil War. But look at just the civil rights um, uh, uh, books and movies and all kinds of things. That become an industry
0: in itself, didn't it?
1: It did, and, 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 we, and, and now we base a good portion of our political leadership on that industry. They actually have an incentive for it not to go away, hence the ever-increasing um, identities that we're supposed to choose from and why we never can get to that unity, because if we did, we wouldn't need to, need them to do all those things, would we?
0: No, we would not. Well, brother, i got to hand it to you. Uh, I knew that as I read your book, that this was not about a bunch of facts. We're not here to disgorge a bunch of facts. We're here to talk about the reality of life and the attitudes of we the people. And if we the people in God's house cannot get this together, cannot understand the situation, we don't understand it by creating more ideas of victimhood it seems to me that God gives us the answer. It's called, it's the F word, forgiveness. What say you?
1: Yes, I don't know. Uh, the uh, I'll, I'll give you this quick story. My grandparents, my my, my, my my biological father's side is black. I never knew my biological dad. I mm-hmm. have a baby daddy, that's true. Um, which unfortunately is, is true of a lot of culture in, in America now. Mm-hmm. But they're from Memphis, Tennessee, and originally Coldwater, Mississippi.
0: All right, here's what and, I want you to do. I want you oh, to hang on because we're going into a break, and I don't want to okay. miss the, uh, the bottom line here. Friends, All again, right. Andrew Southwick, his book, More Than Reconciliation, coming to the table of grace, very, very important. $17 on the website, saveus.org. We'll be right back. One of the most hateful messages in America today is setting aside one group as victims and the other as oppressors. Whether it has to do with sexual issues, whether it has to do with uh, color of skin issues, or any other issue, it is a wicked effort in the name often of justice to create massive injustice. And we need to understand it that way. Our special guest today, Andrew Southwick, with his book, More Than Reconciliation. Andrew, you were telling us a bit of a life story. Go for it.
1: Yeah, so my, my grandparents are from originally from Coldwater, Mississippi, and uh, and then later Memphis, Tennessee. They have since passed away uh, some years ago. Mm-hmm. They grew up through the Jim Crow South. They grew up, in fact, they, were, they worked and were, for all intents and purposes, they were owned on a plantation, picked cotton. Mm-hmm. Pick all the stereotypes they lived in. And I remember when I when I got to meet them uh, for the uh, – well, my grandma, When I would talk to her on the phone. I'm originally from Washington State. So when my biological father died, I got in touch with them. And I remember asking my grandma, her name is Murdie, she said, and I asked her, you know, how come you aren't more angry about that? Because the examples of – at least in culture, in American culture, was, was that there was a great debt that white America owed – black America, mm-hmm. you know, and we still haven't paid this off yet. And we keep marching, but we're just not getting there. And so I thought, I assumed that my grandma, having lived through all those injustices uh, and in recent memory, that she'd be mad, that, that she'd be carrying this. She said, you know, Andrew, I could be mad, but but and, but why? All that's going to do is pass on the same thing that, that I don't want you to experience in your life. Hmm. She said, the best thing that I can do for you, the best thing I can do for my kids, speaking of my father and and my aunt his sister, the best thing I can do for my neighborhood is to accept that Christ's payment for sin was, yes, for my sin, but it also paid for the sins that were done to me. And his justice is enough for me. And that means I'm free to forgive anybody who ever wronged. And I don't have to live in perpetual injustice because I know my eternity is one with the holiest of justices. Mm. And so what I want you to do is not carry that, that, uh, that anger and not harbor it because they can't pay you back no matter what they tried to do.
0: Exactly. So no amount of reparations are nope. sufficient to undo. If you will not forgive.
1: You can't. And that's, and that is the missing ingredient though. You, you quoted, the, from the book we, we used to march for justice and now we march for social justice yeah well the the missing ingredient is forgiveness and exactly. we are actually sowing unforgiveness and then we're also we're, we're incentivizing it mm-hmm. by raising people up who refuse to do so and, and so creating
0: we, an entire industry over the past 40 50 years uh absolutely. where black leaders even pastors mm-hmm. have been incentivized to continue to stir in the pot,
1: yeah, to increase their
0: power, perks, and position—absolutely,
1: it's sheer wickedness, isn't it? It's it, it, uh, wickedness and evil to the lowest order. We saw, we see the same thing with abortion. Margaret Sanger, who founded Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. she went specifically to black pastors to encourage them to encourage the young black women who are pregnant to abort their kids. I mean, we, they, this stuff. Get so ingrained into every all right. So Christian why society. is it?
0: Why is it that black pastors could not see through it and thought that she was doing a great thing for them and have carried on that so-called wicked ministry ever since to take their kids to Planned Parenthood?
1: I can only speak to that, to what, to how I used to feel. Okay, and it was just that when you have when you when you perceive whether it's real or, or perceived when you are dealing with that injustice and trying to make sense of it and reconcile it, and move forward. If you feel that you are the one who was owed, therefore you are the one who must exact payment. Then you're going to be upset because you're fighting with the sovereignty of God that says, I already paid for this, but you don't want to let that go. It's just like Mm -hmm. when when somebody Mm -hmm. wrongs you and you don't want to forgive them because you feel like you're letting them off the hook. We all, we all know this, right? We all have this. And it's, it's, it's the same thing, at least, as it pertains to my life. I can't speak to every single pastor. I, I, w- I would argue, though, that when it comes to, to pastors in general, and this is true of black or white pastors, I don't really think there's much of a difference. It's a, it's a, it's a point of view. right? But when we, when we begin to replace biblical doctrine with political platforms, because political platform is very immediate and very now when we're doing something. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes biblical doctrine says sit and wait. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes biblical doctrine says not in this life,
0: uh-huh. you know? Right.
1: We don't like that. I want it now. I want my justice, my way. And, and I think those are all things that muddy the water. And unfortunately it creates a vulnerability, a foothold where confusion can set in where we can give way to our own desires and we ignore God at the same time. But uh, yeah. unfortunately, we sow more division while we do it.
0: Well, we've heard the cry going down the streets of America, no justice, no peace. When in reality, you might also say, no peace, no justice. Yeah. If you don't have peace in your heart, there's never going to be any justice. You will never feel justice. So when Rodney King, there in uh Southern California, I was still in Southern California practicing law during the Watts Riots. And uh, uh, right on the front of Time Magazine, is either Time or Newsweek, were the fires and Rodney King and the words, can't we all get along? The answer is, no, we can't all get along if we continue to insist on our own fleshly uh, power, perks, and position. We have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and be willing to forgive, don't we?
1: Jesus Christ has to be enough, and that's where the rubber meets the road, doesn't it? If his justice isn't enough for you, no justice will be.
0: Exactly. Here's, the
1: other de- here's the other deception. Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Okay?
0: The Prince he, of he, Peace.
1: Exactly. We, we, I think one of the greatest deceptions we have going on in our culture right now And we can think of this as racism, we can think of this with the stuff going on with Israel and Hamas and Gaza and all that, Mm -hmm. Um, or or Ukraine or China and Taiwan, all these things. We're marching for world peace. We're not going to have it without Jesus. So you're never going to get there. And the thing is, I think that some people are genuinely um, uh, deceived. Others know exactly. Because if they really wanted to get to the source, they, they would seek the source of peace. They don't want to get to the source. They want to keep it like that, and so that's and now we and now here we are. But the church, as God's ambassadors, as Christ's ambassadors on earth, we are to reflect this and proclaim it and show it. And this is where I'm hoping that we, as the church, we have an opportunity right now. We look at America. We say, "My goodness, this is clearly not the America I grew up in. It probably never will be again." But it doesn't mean that it has to be that it it has to cease to be America. And the, And we are in a spiritual world right now. It is not cultural. it is spiritual. Thank it is, you. It, it is It is manifesting culturally, but it is spiritual. We are talking about what's a man, what's a woman. We are talking about who gets to live and who who doesn't, who's essential, who is not. These are not the top marginal tax rates debating you know <laughs> Reagan and Mondale. okay? <laughs> okay. I
0: love so the we, way you talk, my brother. I love the right. way you talk. You're just getting right down to it. And uh, you're, not, you're not mincing words, you're not playing the culture war game, uh, because no. in reality the culture wars are predicated, they're issuing out of an underlying spiritual war, and that's why our nation is divided, because we have abandoned, at least, more than half of the nation has abandoned the fear of the Lord.
1: And here's where the church has some responsibility. Okay. it is not The church is not a political vehicle, that's true. The church is a spiritual uh, institution. However, we do have a place in our civics and in our culture and in our politics, and we have believed the lie that we're supposed to keep our faith in the four walls of our church buildings and sing songs and sit down and shut up and just go to work. Well, here's the thing. If we're in a spiritual war, honestly, our military is not going to save us from that. The soldiers for the spiritual war are God's people, you and me. And so how can we effectively combat this? And we do it on our knees. Um, mm. but and, and, and we do it by, uh, yeah, having people sit at the table with us, maybe who we wouldn't normally choose, but that doesn't mean because they're a different color. Maybe they just like a different kind of music than we do. Maybe they come from a different part of town than we come from or whatever it might be. But if we don't get off the sidelines and stop being afraid to 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 be called names or whatever else, and if, and, and if we don't start uh, bringing our witness from a position of strength that is on the word of God and not the false witness of the world. I'm telling you, it ain't going to work. But God has us as soldiers here, spiritual soldiers to wage a spiritual war. It's time for the church to rise up and and proclaim and live out this truth.
0: One of the things that, uh, and and you don't know me in this sense, but uh, for the past 30 years or so, I have really kind of been on the front lines behind the scenes of uh, carrying out the message of genuine reconciliation uh, between black and white and, and all all peoples. But not from the standpoint of looking at it from a culture war standpoint, but from a spiritual war standpoint. So when the Lord called us to leave the practice of law at the height of my career in Southern California, to come to the birthplace of America, Richmond, Virginia, the, with the very capital of the Confederacy, He led us right into the heart of the massive blue blood country. So, I began to gather pastors, both black and white, into our home. We had pastor-to-pastor gatherings for years in our home, where five or six pastors and their wives would come together, and we would pray together, we would talk together, we'd break bread together, then we would have larger groups come together, 30, 40, 50, come together for the same reason, to build relationships. But what I found, and I would appreciate your response to this, what I found was there was more interest among my black pastor brethren to gain power and recognition than there was for reconciliation.
1: Yeah. I think that is no, I'm not gonna say I think. In my experience in my study, that actually is one of the form the the, the foundational tenets of critical race theory. And, mm-hmm. and critical race theory actually goes back a lot further. And I'm sure as a lawyer you know it's a legal theory, but it goes you can take it all the way back to the Frankfurt School of Germany. Yep. And
0: all right, pick up on that after this break. Uh, we're having right. an open conversation here, friends. That's what we're having. An open conversation. It's more than just reconciliation the way we think about it. Coming to the table of grace, what does that mean? Our special guest, Andrew Southwick, has booked $17 on our website, saveus.org. Very, very important. We'll be right back.
2: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? click cell church
0: The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God in our civil body politic I wrote in my book Renewing the Soul of America the chapter called a civil body politic with the subtitle racism rhetoric and reconciliation We're praying for revival with unclean hands God has winked at our failure to cleanse this stain of racism from His church in America in two previous awakenings. But I'm convinced that the intentionalized reconciliation of both black and white professing believers in American Christendom is a coextensive condition, if not a precondition, to the great move of God's hand and spirit so desperately sought and so drastically needed across the face of the United States. Neither may we ignore nor forget the Native Americans whom both blacks and whites have oppressed and whose covenants we have spurned. The supreme ruler of nations now desires to strip out the Mason-Dixon line from the heart of his church in America, and he's not going to tolerate a church with spot or wrinkle or any such thing. All right, getting it out there as strongly as possible. Andrew, uh, I had to cut you off before the break. Do you still have it on your mind?
1: Sure. We were just talking about you were asking, why do you think that the black pastors that you were uh, ministering with, to and with yes were more concerned about power and recognition than reconciliation? Mm. And I think that's a, that is a, one of the teachings that comes out of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Whether they would credit that or not, it's an influence, certainly in culture and certainly in black culture. But the, the, the primary tenet of critical race theory is the transfer of power. Yep. That is what it is. And so when you see that, you know you're dealing with a critical race theory influence. The interesting thing, and I think the powerful thing, is you, you go back, you just look at when Jesus uh, was on trial before Pilate, b- before he was crucified on the cross. You, you want to talk about power on display. It didn't look like it at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the same charge. What, what, does our, what does it look like for us to display Actual power that can overcome this sin. Well, that actually brings us to, uh, you know, table of grace and what that looks. Like. Humility, mm-hmm.
0: humility, and it's, and
1: it's and it's it's. Well, think of your think of your dinner table. We all have a dinner table, maybe in our in our, in our home, and we've got a few chairs around it. And no. uh, you know, ours we have we have uh, we have five kids, so we've got uh, we've Good got four you. chairs and a bench, so they can all <laughs> and sit on one side. And uh, But we know who sits where, and they all have their assigned seats and everything, and we know what food goes on the table and all that kind of thing. But what would happen if God were to bring uh, a new uh, member of the family to, to the door, and we have to get a new chair for them? Okay, we'll all scoot over. Eventually, we'll start to feel like the table is full, and we'll feel like we have all the food we need. But then God will bring someone else mm. and squeeze them in. And not only that, don't just squeeze them in. But they've got a, a, a meal that they'd like to share. Well, now we got to get used to that too. Here's the thing: that is, that's how we show that, that, that we are that we are humble before God. God, I don't know that there's more room at this table, but if you do, and and you're sending them here, then I'm going to welcome them because they are my brother or sister in Christ and co-heirs uh, with me uh, after you. And I think that's where we get we get stumbled up as we get too used to our familiar. As you know. And it can be an easy to coast, and, and when we have to scoot over and be a little uncomfortable, that gets difficult. But here's the thing. I've got five kids. They're going to inherit this world. I want there to be an America for them that at least has some semblance of justice. And if that's going to be the case, we have to uh, reconnect to our spiritual roots and founding.
0: No question about it. And as you say in Chapter 12 of your book, Forgiveness is the Missing Ingredient, I have a dear uh, black brother who uh, I connected with 30 years ago. Uh, when God called us to uh, come to Richmond, Virginia, and uh, he's a musician, I w- he was directed to me uh, to be of assistance because I was named to be the spiritual, to be the uh, uh, chairman of the of the uh, uh, spiritual life task force here in in Virginia, uh, National Day of Ter- uh, Prayer task force, and so he helped me as a musician, and we became longtime best friends. He came to me several years ago, and he said, Chuck, I'm convinced that the only hope for us, the only hope for we in the black community is to forgive. We can't continue to hold out hope for uh, things like uh, uh, restoration and, or, or uh, reparations and things like that. We have to forgive. The problem, as I see, though, and I need you to respond to this. I see and have seen for the past 30, 40 years the willingness increasingly on the part of white folk and white churches to repent of racism and uh, the problems that we have caused. But I do not see a reciprocal attitude among my black brothers and sisters. It's as if they have an entitlement spirit that presents prevents them from forgiveness.
1: I, I see that as as th- there are parallel streams going because you have repentance on one side, but and some of that is 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 true, and mm-hmm. I do think that exists in the black community as well. But a lot of the a lot of the the white repentance we see, at least culturally, mm-hmm. is repenting over stuff they're not guilty of. True. It's not, <laughs> it, it, I mean. It was, and, and so, so and, you're and, made to and, feel
0: guilty though
1: yeah which but that see that's going to breed more resentment because our kids grow up especially white kids uh i'm white so i'm the problem every time i breathe out i'm killing the ozone layer the world's you know not going to last for me all this kind of stuff no wonder we're more anxious and, and everything mm, else mm. well so you have these these faux apologies that that don't ring true then you have uh, some from the black community saying, well, you know, either wanting reparations or wanting to be paid back. But have you ever noticed, and you know, well, of course, it's rhetorical, but they never say how much is enough. What, what pays this back? What is it? Yeah, How much how much apology? H- how much money? Put a dollar sign on it. What is it? You can't. You wouldn't. That would be insulting and it wouldn't work. Because it's a sin hole, and the only thing that fills the sin hole is the redemption and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I Absolutely. Think in, in, instead of worrying about apologizing for something you're not guilty of, we got to point people to that very uh, work of Christ. That's the only way. Our our apologies to them for stuff we're not guilty of does nothing, and I think only makes it worse.
0: There are no no question about it. We're just digging a hole deeper and deeper and deeper. Because I re- again, go ahead.
1: It it, it it's it's. It is giving mental essential or affirming the premises of the world, and those are wrong.
0: So, that's, right,
1: that's all.
0: Yeah. Seeing the world's viewpoint and not God's viewpoint. And we say regularly here on the program viewpoint determines mm-hmm. destiny, and it's true. And you say, until we all come to the place of repentance, transparency, and honesty before the Lord, we will never overcome hatred and prejudice. Yes, we need to be willing to forgive others, but we also need to be humble enough to ask forgiveness for our own sins, black or white. Neglecting to do that is largely what derails our multicultural outreach efforts. It bears repeating that racism is a disguise and an excuse behind which hatred hides. But sin and hate can hide behind all kinds of excuses, even ones that seem noble and righteous. Wow. Okay, we're going to finish up. Uh, I mentioned, uh, Andrew, that I wrote a book called uh, Renewing the Soul of America. One chapter is called A Civil Body Politic. This book was, be- believe it or not, it was endorsed by 38 national Christian leaders. And the reason, wow. the I don't think any book's ever been endorsed like this. And uh, the reason it was is because it wasn't a finger-pointing book. It was about me. It was about my role in America's problems. It was about God's view concerning what must happen if we are to see hope rise again on these shores. If we're truly, like Abraham Lincoln said, to be the best hope of the world, then something dramatic has to happen from God's viewpoint in this country. So, in this chapter of Civil Body Politic, I conclude by uh, uh, quoting Harriet Beecher Stowe. Remember her? Yeah, she left a message in 1852 that echoes through the words of her famous novel Uncle Tom's Cabin. And I think we need to take it to heart for our mutual healing to this country. She said this, a day of grace is yet held out to us, both north and south, and I wrote in black and white, have been guilty before God, And the Christian church has a heavy account to answer, not by combining together to protect injustice and cruelty and making common capital of sin is this union to be saved, but by repentance, justice, and mercy. It's an amazing statement, isn't
1: it? Oh, It's powerful. It brings to mind this. If we are not first submitted, surrendered to God, we will not be in submission to each other.
0: That's if true for that. black and white, red or yellow, black and white. We say yep. they're all precious in God's sight, but we don't much live like that, do we?
1: No, no, and it's, it's really, it's, it's God first and then each other. Think of, a, think of a bicycle wheel and the spokes, they're all pointing toward the center. We all, they could be coming from all places around that circle, but if they're all going toward the center, uh, and this for this analogy toward Christ, then we're all moving in the same direction, even if our starting points are different. But if we turn around and we start going out to the outer points, now we're all pulling away from each other, and that's what our world's trying to get us to do. Exactly, to pull away for these different things, and that's you know the message that I have. We need to turn back around, and the first people who are going to do that are going to be believers. That's going to be the church.
0: Has so to be because areas, it's God's warmest audience.
1: It is, and and we're we're the ones that have the Holy Spirit. And and here's the thing: no one, if you have received truly, and you mentioned forgiveness, uh, chapter twelve, forgiveness is a missing ingredient. If you received forgiveness from Christ, there is no way that you would withhold that from somebody else because you will know the, the depth and depravity and your unworthiness. Yet Christ's grace and mercy towards you, why would we withhold that from someone else?
0: Well, as uh, Peter said, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud or the self-righteous. Mm. God resists the proud but gives grace Enabling power to the humble. So humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you and all of us in due season, casting all our care upon him, for he cares for us. But at the same time, Peter says, we must resist the devil because he comes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is. And he's doing it through efforts to divide people according to the melanin in their skin and according to many other ways. Our special guest, Andrew Southway. Andrew, do you have a website?
1: Yes, you can go to sodomediaproductions.com. That is S-O-D-O, mediaproductions.com. And you can find all all about the work God's doing through me there and get in touch with me there if you like as well.
0: Well, that's wonderful. You are extremely articulate. Uh, on this issue. And uh, I am so blessed that we have made a new kingdom friendship here. I'm giving you a holy hug over the airwaves, Andrew. I really appreciate it. By the way, I grew up in a pastor's home with five kids. So I can relate you. to, uh, you know, some limited time uh, space around the table. We also had limited space in beds. So we all, at, at least in one location, a, a number of us had to sleep on mattresses that were laid on top of my father's book boxes. <laughs> Amen to
1: that.
0: <laughs> so I didn't grow up in uh, uh, outside of being able to recognize uh, the life of many who did not have much. In those days, uh, they thought of pastors in the congregation, Lord, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. So... <laughs> <laughs>
1: together. Yeah,
0: that's right. So are you able to communicate to your kids this message?
1: Yes. In fact, they they asked, one of my sons uh, a few weeks ago just asked about skin color. This person's black, this person's white and Uh the, the the way we say it is this. Listen, God, what you're seeing in, in someone's skin color is God's creativity across humanity. It's not It's not a difference. It is a part of the glory of God and creation.
0: There so you, you go. Celebrate
1: that for God and celebrate that in each other.
0: Well, that's why God created color in the first place. Thanks so much, Andrew, for joining <laughs> us here on the program. God bless you, friends. Get a copy of the book, More Than Reconciliation, $17 on our website, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Remember, America's at a tipping point. What are we going to do? We're divided in half right now. What are we going to do? Got to start in God's house. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith, friends, to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. The other guy's not doing it. Maybe God's talking to you. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.